Welcome to Bad Patient, Malpractice Makes Perfect. I'm Robin Donovan. And I'm Laura Pierce. And we're two non-medical, non-experts diving into this week's health news. So before we get started, uh, we want to tell you a little bit about how the podcast works. So what happens is I read health news and I find things that I find interesting because it's my podcast and I can do what I want. And then I send... (laughs) uh, one or two word descriptions to Robin in the most vague way possible in order to give her some uh, time to think about what we might be talking about. And then my hopes is to pick something that she doesn't know anything about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then right before the we start recording i send robin the links to the articles and um then we discuss them live kind of with with each other trying to figure out the news and you know just try to understand the world robin has a lot of experience with um reading health news and understanding it and i do not so (laughs) i'm a bad patient robin is a mediocre one uh Uh, i'd say we're both bad (laughs) So, Laura, I have, like, super exciting news, okay? Yay. Super exciting news. Um, so, one of our listeners who's not on Twitter but who contacted me offline to ask a question, uh, her name is Kim, sent in a topic that she wants us to talk about. So, this week, I'm surprising you. Oh. You like that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. So, she asked me if I would talk about varicose veins because... Uh, I think she knew someone whose parent was, uh, you know, in the in the profession of removing them or something. Okay. So, so I guess to start off, I will say thanks so much for listening, Kim. Love your question, and yes, I absolutely did look into this, and I spent a little more time than I had guessed. So, first of all, do you know what a varicose vein is? Um, I mean, from my understanding, it's a thing that is uh, advertised to me uh, during daytime television that I can have <laughs> removed uh, by uh, an outpatient procedure uh, in which they shoot a Death Star ray at me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I think that's about right. I mean, it seems to be one of the many, many things that we can get fixed with lasers, although it's never entirely... It's never entirely clear how, or, like, it never sounds comfortable, like, laser eye surgery. I'm always like, I just... I just don't know if I want that thing like like burning into my lens, Wh- whatever it, whatever it. I'm sure Eyeball? it's great. Yeah, I just I'm like, please don't laser my eyes. They're lovely. Unless I have oh, laser shoot. eyes. Shoot. What? You know what I just remembered? I totally left my glasses at the hotel I checked out of yesterday, and I was going to call them today. Anyway, I'm not getting those back. <laughs> Note to um, self. <laughs> Note to self. Maybe I do need some lasers. So. Um, my glasses aside, may they rest in peace. Varicose veins, generally, generally benign, are caused by blood pooling in veins, which I think we could have guessed. And didn't we talk about blood pooling before? Yeah. <laughs> and we got our first bad expert who told us that blood pooling is just gravity related. It's like exactly what you think. So caused by blood pooling in veins, prolonged periods of sitting and standing. And these are kind of the veins that look like those things that kind of pop out. They look a little gnarly. Not like gnarly as in red, but kind of gnarled. And they're usually in lower legs and feet. And if you have spider veins, that's kind of like a lesser type of them. So they can cause achiness or pain, but apparently are generally fine. But uh, we in America, you know, sometimes get into our cosmetic procedures. And sometimes you can have complications with them. So you can get them zapped with a Death Star. But Laura, listen. Not one way, not two ways, not three or four ways. I found seven separate ways, seven separate ways that that you can get zapped. So. What? <laughs> I know, I know, and like, and the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give these. There are like, only two from, Death Stars. I, I know that. Listen, there's like, there's like foam you can inject. Okay, here's the story, and I'm gonna list these from like least scary to most scary. Okay, that's that's just the way it should be. So these are all outpatient procedures, although I'm pretty sure that if you did this to me, it would not be, like, I would 
my reaction would cause it to be an inpatient procedure. But so generally the idea is they're trying to close off the vein to, to like reroute the blood flow or to avoid the bulgy appearance by like making it so the blood cannot pool in that vein. Um, so you can have the, the vein injected with a solution that scars and closes it off, which is called sclerotherapy. And that that's like, you know, for some of the smaller ones, I guess it just takes a few weeks and apparently there are there are veins like deeper in your leg that would take care of the bulk of the blood flow. So it's it's all fine. Like if one day you just have a vein and it's no longer carrying blood like these surface veins, apparently that's good, which I I would not have thought that that was good, but apparently it's totally fine. Weird. I know, so weird. So yeah, and then the other there's like a foam sclerotherapy where they put a foam solution and they inject it into the vein, which stops the blood from going in. Um, please don't do that to me. I don't know how that would ever happen, but I don't like it. I just don't like it. Also, how does that like? Do you get that? Like, how does that help? To me, it uh, just seems like well, then you know, I I feel like I'm human and not a machine. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're not we're not feeling the foam, people. But don't worry, there's five more options. Um, they can be sealed shut using a heated catheter. Ugh. So I, they're gonna. Uh, I think that's the burning type of thing. Although I don't know for sure. Uh, they can be tied off, which is called vein stripping. So like, I don't know. Is it like the vein equivalent of a vasectomy? Like bow, you- chicka, bow, bow. <laughs> so yeah. Um, Yes, uh, the catheter one uses heat to destroy the vein. I'm saying they're burning your veins shut, okay? So maybe also that one I don't really like. Uh, Anyway, so vein stripping we went over. um, And then these get even more fun. There's, uh, you can completely remove the vein, which is called ambulatory phlebectomy. So, ectomy meaning removal of and the the prefix uh, phleb meaning, I think, blood? I don't I mean, know. That expert may have got that wrong. draws blood. As it draws blood. They're the vampires yeah. of the medical yeah. world. So there's that. And then and then if all else fails and you have like the most recalcitrant vein known to man or it's super big, you can do endoscopic vein surgery. Um, so and that's typically if you have like like leg ulcers from these things and they would just like use a tiny like endoscopic video camera, to, like put that in your leg and close the vein or, and then remove them, like, through uh, an incision. So, Kim, um, you know, it's up to you what you do on this. Or, I think, actually, I think she just wanted more information. But I don't, what's your what's your impression of this, Laura? Because I was fairly shocked by this. I mean, I, I feel like I, I want to keep my veins. I'm, I'm good. Mm. I'm good, too. Yeah. I bet it's one of those things that, like, it sounds worse than it is. Because I've heard that laser eye surgery also sounds worse than it is. But just, I just, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm freaked out and I'm ready for the first story. Okay, so our first story comes from uh, Fox News. The title is The Dangers of Using Home Remedies for Serious Illness. (laughs) Do we need a story or can that just, I think the headline says it all. So quick disclaimer that I have done some freelance writing and editing work, and this story was originally posted on Healthline and later reposted on Fox. So Healthline is a former client of mine. Um, I didn't do news for them, but I did some encyclopedic style health articles, Um, and I no longer work with them, but I just wanted to get that out of the way. Okay. Okay, Laura, what's (laughs) what's up with this story? (laughs) So it's talking about um, how home remedies or like things that are promoted as natural therapies... um, do have uh, a risk. Um, I mean, we've talked about just because you can buy it over the counter doesn't mean that it's safe kind of thing. And I, th- I feel like it's uh, one of those things. Um, I don't like, so uh, it reminds me of, of a joke. I don't think it's very funny, but it's uh, <laughs> go for it anyway. <laughs> You know, do you know what they call alternative medicine that has been proven to work? Medicine. Medicine. <laughs> um, okay, but I don't know if I like that because there are some alternative medicines like acupuncture that have been tr- proven to work. And I feel like that's still in the alternative category. But there's good evidence. As far as I understand it, there's good evidence now for acupuncture. Well, then it's so. not alternative medicine. 
but it is still marketed as such. That's what I'm saying. Maybe it's because it's not performed by a, a licensed professional. It is performed by a licensed professional. They're like L LACs, I think, licensed acupuncturists. All right. Your joke might be funny slash is funny to me, but it's it's wrong anyway. What are you saying? The So this article was spurred because an uh, Australian man uh, killed killed himself due to uh, um, developing cyanide poisoning. cyanide poisoning after he took a high doses of apricot kernel extract, oh. which he was taking in order to try to prevent uh, the return of his prostate cancer. Um, so... Superfoods have been touted to have anti-cancer properties, but a lot of those claims haven't been backed up by scientific research. So also, also pause, like superfood is in no way a medical term. It's like, it's like the no, word it's marketing natural. term. Yeah, it's, it's just, just like, a marketing term. <laughs> like superfoods are unproven. Well, no kidding. Like they did. The, whoever came up with superfood is a super genius. That's all I have to say. Well, they should have trademarked it and maybe they would be. So this poor guy, like, poisoned himself. Yeah, see, this is the same pull quote as last week. Just because you can buy it over the counter does not mean that it's safe. And while you were telling us about this, I googled, and I want to let you know that the apricot kernel is the pit, I, which I guess it's not called a pit. It must be called a kernel, but anyway. I guess it's smaller. It's somehow. Anyway, don't go eating, like, 5,000 of them. I've heard they contain cyanide. Yeah, I mean, apple seeds are the same same way. That's why you're not supposed to eat apple seeds. Mm-hmm. Oh, sometimes I do. I mean, if they if they work their way in, I never was worried about it. Well, you should try to avoid them now, Robin. <laughs> well, you know what I would like to know on this guy? I'd like to know, like, because, okay, yeah, I could accidentally eat an apple seed. I wonder how many apricot kernels worth of whatever the substance is did he take? You I know, know, like... But he was, was like warned by his doctor to stop, but he didn't. So listen to your physician. Not these wonky podcast artists, you know. Yeah. Jeez. Come on. So part of the article is talking about how um, the number of um, poison poison control center calls across the country for herbal and dietary supplements have increased over 50% from 2005 to 2012 um that totally makes sense to me (laughs) i can totally see that because there's so many people taking supplements now yeah and serious medical problems occurred in four percent of those calls 95 percent of the serious cases were for children six and under and the majority Mm. were unintentional uh wait so so what does it mean if it's an intentional poisoning um i i think like if you eat something that you're not supposed to uh um, oh, so so meaning like the poisoning is intentional if you're taking the supplement on purpose, even if the poisoning itself was not. Well, I I mean I intentional. Actually, I think it's the opposite. Like if you if your kid accidentally drinks like the Tide pods or whatever, right? You know, that's a poisonous yeah. <laughs> substance that we know, so that might be a little bit less accidental. Versus like I took a bunch of vitamins and um, now I've poisoned myself yeah i think the wording on this is a little wonky but yeah i mean i think well i would say the tide thing is is both poisoning and unintentional but i think what they're trying to say is what like if you're eating something and you get poisoned that's intentional it's like intentional consumption that caused poisoning versus unintentional or shit okay (laughs) help me with this I I've successfully confused myself. <laughs> I think what I think what they're saying here is the majority of the poisonings were children who got into supplements and ate them without the parents knowing. Oh, okay, yeah. So they they uh like the Fred Flintstone tablets are mm-hmm. candy, so I ate all the candy. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know they're talking about there being less government regulation of these of these products and that's definitely something that i think we've talked about in the past or um being like the fda regulates the substances but only but not to the same extent that they regulate food so i think they specifically regulate if they if they're making a medical claim around it but otherwise they're not really 
they're not going to swoop in and say like, oh, this dosage is a little high. Like that's not that's not their shtick. Yeah. So man, it's it's just talking about some of the dangers from some of the things that haven't been proven from. Yeah. Ugh. It's sad. It's sad because I feel like the people who are most susceptible to a potentially dangerous home remedy are the people who are the most ill. And yeah. so it's really, it's taking advantage of the people that we shouldn't be taking advantage of, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons they say, like, why the, why people turn to home remedies. If you have been told that you have an uncommon condition that doesn't have any medical um, cure or doesn't have a... Um, like if you have a an illness that there isn't a medicine for, then then you're more likely to turn to these things because at this point, like doing nothing doesn't help, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah, and I have also culturally, it was talking about uh, people from uh, Mexico and uh, China. Um, it looks China. Like. This is the two that are cited, but I'm sure there are other. Yeah. Things. My husband came comes from a small town in the middle of nowhere, and I'm sure he has some strange uh, home remedies that he's been taught over uh, the years. He hasn't also, made me like it. Just reminds me of like, uh, have, did you ever watch my big fat Greek wedding? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just put Windex on it. Windex. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, and I, you know, the other thing that your husband's tiny small town had that I still remember and will remember forever is pizza at McDonald's. They still have it, I think. They still have it? Oh, man. If I wasn't gluten-free, I would, like, make the trip out for that. No, he said it was good, right? Yeah, it's one of two, I think, left in the United States. Pizza at McDonald's. All right. Yeah, I I wonder if the China-Mexico mention here is more of, like, like, a little stereotypical. I mean, because, yeah, those are the ones I think of, too, but I... You know, I feel a little uncomfortable saying that. Yeah. So mm. basically, the recommendation is that you should tell your doctors about any supplements that you're having or any home remedies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, before you accept any claim, try to find out who disagrees with it and why. Is the best advice mm. I think that comes from this particular article. And also, I think, check your source, because, like, I could find, like, I would say vaccines are something that have a really strong base of evidence for their safety and effectiveness. But I could definitely find a lot of sources that would say why you should, that would talk about why you shouldn't get vaccines and the evidence for that. So I would say just make sure you're checking your sources and finding out where those come from. It's really easy to, like, look on Wikipedia and find if if organizations have a political leaning or backing, if they were if they have links to other organizations or if they have some founding principles that you may not agree with. Um, so be careful. That's true. It's very true. I'm not sure I like the last section of this article. It's talking about how our paleo brains drive us. I, I feel like the word paleo is just becoming overused. Like I think they're referring to the fight or flight thing here, the fight or flight like response. Yeah. Like, you, you react, you don't, um, you yeah. know, question. I mean, they're not wrong, but I think they miss an opportunity here to talk about the the placebo effect and how, how kind of awesome that can be. Because I think there's plenty of things, like, I don't know, do you have anything you do, like, if you get a cold? Like, if you think you're getting a cold, like, what do you do? Like, do you eat anything, drink anything? Um, my husband typically gets me either apple juice or orange juice and in my head that stops any cure any cold from happening whether or not i actually get a cold yeah i take zinc and i drink this echinacea tea from throat coat and it's so good it's so good um but and i think i don't even know that those things help but in my head they do and so i'm like willing to go along with that but i think it's a slippery slope in a way because I mean, I'm sure there's an amount, there's like a, probably a toxic amount of zinc, certainly. Um, and I think zinc maybe is one of those nutritional pairs where it like can have an impact on how much copper you're absorbing or something. But it's how much weird. How copper you know, are you absorbing? 
Um, I have no idea, but certain Are things you like to compete. observe copper. Um, yeah, it's an essential mineral. I had no idea. I I don't know if like, essential mineral is a term that I just made up or what. Oh, <laughs> just googled Probably. it. Just <laughs> googled it. An essential trace mineral that cannot be formed by the human body. So there's like, and I think I think copper and zinc are are together. Where if you know if you have too much of one, then your body might not absorb the other because it's like they're. I have no idea exactly how, the mechanism of that, but anyway, point being, there's an amount of zinc I could consume that would not be good for me, I believe. But I wonder, like, you know, there's got to be a line somewhere, right? Like apricot kernel extract guy thought he was doing something harmless and fine. So it's kind of it's kind of a very curious thing because I've always been like a huge proponent of the placebo effect and doing benign things that you believe work. Um, but you know, now that we can turn anything into a supplement, it really raises the question of when is it like, you know, if you think you're going to avoid the cold, you're going to avoid the cold. And when is it, you know, you might really hurt yourself with this stuff. It's kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah. Also, I feel like with the extract that makes it more potent, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'm taking a zinc supplement, so that's more than I would probably get in a day. But then again, I only take it when I feel like I'm getting sick. So it's whatever mental witchcraft I I use to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, cool. Well, let's move on. I think I've, I think I've had enough bad home remedies for one day. <laughs> <laughs> so the next article comes from CNN.com, and it's migraines to cluster headaches, the most painful headaches you could ever have. So it's a okay. It's an article talking about the different types of headaches. There are over 150 types, um, and they it's talking about ones that you know just can't be fixed with a painkiller. You know, you pop a pill and it's you know you're cured or whatever. They're talking about headaches that can become stressful, disabling health problems. Um, uh, so they're talking about the alarm clock headache, which is named after the fact that it wakes people up during the middle of the night. Um, and then also talking about some other things. Um, the one that I thought was the most interesting was called cluster headaches. Um, and it's considered by many experts to be the most p- painful type of headache. Um, and it, it, it affects one out of 1,000 people in the U.S., um, that the, seems like a lot. Yeah. One out of a thousand? Yeah. That's not like that uncommon, but I've never heard of it before. Have you? Oh, I, yeah. I've heard of cluster headaches, but that's not saying anything <laughs> in terms of whether the general population has heard of them. Well, I've never heard of it, um, but it's an excruciating peel that, pain that builds in a matter of minutes, um, and it can cause a stuffy nose or, or runny nose and redness and swelling of the eyes. Hmm. It like sounds basically, pretty miserable. all of these things, uh, the uh, cause of the attacks is unclear, but they can run in families, and it's just like an excruciating amount of pain, and it kind of, um, it's the sounds like the worst thing ever. If yeah. We had, if we had to just narrow it down, okay. Yeah, that and, being said, it, I'm not sure how I feel about them calling it the most painful headache, or I guess I'm okay with that. Um, But I kind of, yeah, I don't know if it helps people to talk about things being like the most painful thing ever. I mean, because there's more than one and probably more than 10 medical conditions that people will say, this is the most painful medical condition known to man. And I remember being in a situation as a patient, possibly as a bad patient, where like, um, I was having some like wonky jaw issues in college and having some pain around that. And they were having trouble sorting out the source of all of it. And at a certain point, someone, some doctor thought that I had this illness called trigeminal neuralgia, which is, uh, like a, a facial nerve pain, um, kind of ailment where the slightest, sensation on your face, like brushing your hair or like the wind on your cheek can trigger these intensely painful attacks. So, Mm. uh, spoiler, I did not end up having that, but I remember going home and like 
you know, chilling in my dorm room and Googling, I guess I was the opposite of chilling and Googling this and just being like, oh my God, if I have this, like my life is over. And then, and then I think, you know, 10 minutes later, I was like, wait a minute, if I was in this much pain, I think I would know. But it just, I think it really added to my like freak out factor, you know? That's true. I... I'm not sure that this article was written for people who experience these things. I feel like this Although, might be for more of the general public or maybe like yeah. family members, but this is probably not a great resource for people who are experiencing these <laughs> types of pains because it's, it's pretty like there, there's descriptions of it and it's not like a super positive thing. So, yeah. like with cluster headaches, it can be from one to three times a year, or you can have it eleven months out of the year. And oh my um, god, wait! So does that mean like a constant headache, or uh, I guess? Oh, googled it. Apparently, there's two dominant forms. One is uh, episodic, and the other one is slightly different. So, to answer yes. my own question, does not. But it still seems eleven months straight. Can you imagine? Yeah, well, yeah, with little recovery time between, in between. Yeah, so and the attacks last, and yeah, 30, 30 to, to 180 minutes, so half an hour to three hours. Three hours, dude. That's a long time. Yeah. So if you want more information and you are a person who has cluster headaches, um, I'm checking out the American Migraine Foundation uh, they have an article called Treatment of Cluster Headache on AmericanMigraineFoundation.org. And I also generally really like the National Headache Foundation, which has the best URL of all the headache groups, which is headaches.org. So <laughs> check those out. <laughs> if you two are bad patients and you're having issues with cluster headaches, um, and man, we're sorry you're, we're sorry you're having a rough time if you have cluster headaches, because I'm going to assume you are having a rough time. Yeah. So, well, speaking of, like, forever long headaches, there's also the new daily persistent headaches. Uh, which, and this one I have not heard of. Which can last months or even years. Years. Uh, it's a headache that just starts one day and just never goes away. There's no specific treatment. There's no particular treatment regimen for it. <laughs> God, how many, like, common ailments are we in this boat on still? You know, I feel like, like we don't know we don't know what causes it. We don't know really how to fix it. We, don't, we just kind of like, well, we're sorry you're having a tough day, which I guess is roughly what I just said. But, hey, I'm not, I'm not a physician. <laughs> or a researcher. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's probably, like, like, that's, like, the sci-fi trope, right? Like, even in the future, yeah. people still have the common cold because <laughs> it's incurable, you know? Yeah. Also, it's but a is lot it, of different other... It's a lot of different things that we call the common cold. Right? Is it Isn't the most... Is it... Um, yeah, okay. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Because it's, <laughs> it's cold It's cold and flu season. People need to know this. All right. Tangent. Tangent, listeners. Tangent. But this is, this is cool. So... Um, I did an article once on the difference between cold and flu symptoms. And there are some symptoms that are specific to the flu. But in general, there's a lot of crossover in the symptoms, right? So, you know, like a runny nose does not necessarily mean one or the other. And so a lot of people might have a very severe um, cold that could be confused with a mild flu, or vice versa. Like, they might think, oh, this is just a really bad cold. It's the flu. Or they might think, it's the flu, and it's just a really bad cold. So one of the things that I have thought about related to that is that, and this is totally anecdotal, but I always felt like getting the flu shot helped me not get sick as often. And I thought that was weird because I was like, I never get the flu, but now I'm not getting sick as often. And now I wonder if those were actually very mild flus. So... Spoiler alert, unless you go and, like, I think there's a test for the flu, you, you cannot actually tell. And you you don't really need the test for the flu unless you were going to go to the doctor anyway. So that that's what I think. I guess I, I'm not 100%. I've, I've had that test done before. Really? Yeah. Multiple Did you times. have the flu? Yes. Really? Anytime. Wait. Like, 
I've never, I guess, okay, so I've never gone to the doctor for having a cold or the flu. So my next question is, they were like, you're positive for the flu. What did they do? They give you Tamiflu, which can help shorten Mm. the length of the flu experience. Um, But you have to catch it within the first, I think it's 72 hours, maybe 48 hours of your first uh, symptoms. Otherwise, it doesn't do anything. Yeah, but you know what? Tamiflu is actually controversial. I can't remember the two organizations. I want to say it's the CDC and the WHO, um, which is World Health Organization. And there's one that says, yes, Tamiflu works. And there's another that, like, last I checked said, no, it doesn't work. So, Well, it's a placebo effect, and it makes me feel mm, better. Does it? Okay. Well, then, by all means. But then again, you may have just infected a bunch of other people by going to the doctor when you're sick. So... You made yourself feel better, but now everybody else feels worse because you gave them the flu. That's not true. I go to <laughs> the clinic in uh, Kroger's, so I got <laughs> so- loads of people sick. <laughs> but hey, you were going to infect those people anyway because someone's got to buy the food, you know. <laughs> All right. I'm on your side on this one. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm sorry that we don't have more more headache solutions for people. I will say that if... If someone tells you that you have the most painful medical condition known to man, um, take heart. There's a bunch of those. And and maybe you don't even have it, if you're like me. That was a good day. Um, And I think think I'm ready for the next one, Laura. Okay. So I'm about to get a little political with you. All right. Be warned. Uh, This next article comes from NBC News. Uh, And the title is Trump Trump just made it easier for employers to refuse to pay for birth control. So with the Affordable Care Act, um, it included provisions that required health insurance to pay for uh, certain types of birth control at no cost for the consumer. And with this uh, new decision, uh, those companies that have... um, uh, uh, religious objections? Sincerely held religious or moral objections to birth control. So part of this came from the Little Sisters of the Poor, um, okay. who is a, which is a Catholic organization um, and Catholics. Um, Those are your people, Laura. Those I are am, your people. I am, I, I am Catholic. Um, uh, Catholics doctrine uh, does not support the use of birth control, so they objected to having to provide something that they um, object to. But this now widens the pool to shield uh, companies that are both non-profit, for-profit, and non-governmental employees and schools and universities. So NGOs and all sorts of folks. Yeah, so it's basically anybody but the state. (laughs) If they have uh, sincerely held religious and moral objections, which for the most part, would not be most companies, um, but it does okay. give uh, those who do uh, more protection from the requirement. Mm. And I just uh, thought it was interesting because wow. the... Because we're female <laughs> in our 30s? I mean, most women use uh, birth control in their lives. Uh, even most Catholics, I think it's like nine out of ten. I don't know. It's been a while <gasps> since I've seen it. Don't um, tell the Pope. Don't tell the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> um, believe, bl- have have used and do use birth control um, or don't have a problem with it. It's one of those um, more side things that you know it's not like one of the tenets of catholicism it's just part of the doctrine so they're kind of like like we're not going to excommunicate you for using the pill for taking the pill but we'd like kind of rather you not right yeah am i translate okay yeah all right if if Um, you ask anybody they're going to tell you you shouldn't but (laughs) they're not going to tell you you can't take communion to get uh super catholic about about it oh okay all right. Yeah, you know, I think one thing that stood out to me about this is it's religious and moral. Because moral seems a little broader, right? I mean, that gets into, I don't know, all sorts of, what is it, Home Depot or whoever? Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby? 
Sorry. All I could think of was H and you go there and they sell a million tiny little things. <laughs> True for both. <laughs> yeah, Hobby Lobby um, is is the thing that comes to mind. Um, and it, it just kind of um, makes me frustrated because I feel like my choice for birth control should be between myself and my doctor um, about what what I decide is best for me mm-hmm. and my family, um, not between my president and my employer. Um, yeah, like it definitely highlights that awkwardness of getting health insurance through your employer because now it starts to get kind of personal what your employer believes because it seems like, and you know, you're the you're the uh, current events poli- like. Um, political expert, so tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like now it's like you could maybe find out that your employer has a belief that you didn't even know about. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's the difference between, um, like, working for the Little Sisters of the Poor. I should probably know that they're a Catholic organization. Like, it it should come up. Um, And I get that, like, Chick-fil-A or, like, Hobby Lobby, um, probably are a bit more proactive in announcing it, but it also could be, you know, smaller organizations or tiny Mm -hmm. um, companies that, you know, that the owner has a a strongly held religious view that I might not be aware of when I, you know, apply and I'm just your accountant, you know, like, yeah. Um, yeah, and like, and maybe you don't even really want to know that about whoever you're working for. You know, like, that's kind of something we were hoping we didn't have to discuss. Right. Like, so, um, Awkward. it's just, it's just, uh, just like, and it's important to be knowledgeable. And there, and I feel like this, you know, negatively impacts low income, um, women, especially yeah. because having additional children or having a child can definitely negatively definitely impacts your uh, economic situation because, you know, kids are expensive. Kids cost money. And, yeah. yeah. And it's one of those, yeah, I mean, it's something where and, I think, um, like, sorry, go for 40%, it, go for it. I think <laughs> 40% of uh, pregnancies in the United States are unplanned, you know? Which so. is so high, which is so high. But I guess I've heard, I've heard that statistic before, but it always shocks me, like, this one says upward of 40 percent of pregnancies. Yeah, that's a yeah, ton. and it's just it's so it's very like, common. It's a very common issue to have an unplanned pregnancy. Yeah, um, and it, it's just the the risk to a woman for pregnancy for like health for just health and the cost of you know birth, uh, giving yeah. birth and and being pregnant is is very expensive. And you would think like yeah. health insurers would want to provide contraception yeah. as a way to mitigate costs because the cost of if for the no two other reason is just you know if you're just looking at dollars and cents of it all yeah you know this reminds me um when i was younger i worked at a small nonprofit that provided medical care for homeless people after they got out of the hospital or people uh, who are homeless i should say so one of the things that we struggled with was fundraising because a lot of people knew that this population had a higher um, incidence of substance abuse disorders. And, and these are generally, I mean, many people who are homeless have exhausted other resources and relationships, right? Like if their family was going to take them in, they wouldn't be homeless. And so I, I think they're a population that can be harder to um, raise sympathy for. But the argument that I most liked and that I would try to make, um, I was doing communications work for them, was that... It doesn't really matter how you feel ethically, morally about their life choices or whether or not they should be taking care of their own problems. There was a uh, a health or a financial um, benefit to the city from keeping these people from going into the emergency room time after time after time after time, right? So mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah, maybe they were maybe they were on crack for 20 years. Maybe they're still on crack. Or maybe we're going to help them and they're going to go back. But even if you keep them from going to the hot, to the emergency room three or four times, I mean, that that's a hugely expensive place to go. So if you kind of capture them at this 
kind of delicate point, like after a surgery or something where they might be sleeping on the streets, you might not want to help them, but you should because you're going to save money for everyone. So it's like a win-win. It's good for the taxpayer and it's good for for that person who needs the help. That makes sense. So like... It's also kind, right? Yeah. I mean, also, it's humane. But like um, somebody who just had surgery going out and sleep, the risk for infection is much higher, right? Like... Yeah. um, Yeah. And you readmittance, right? Like that's a thing mm-hmm. for yes. hospitals, right? Yes, would be yeah. higher so it's for that population. Benefit. Absolutely, but and then same thing here with with childbirth. So um, I, I looked up a few resources, you know, and kind of like taking a look at this from a from just a health standpoint. Although I don't think we can really divorce the health and the political in this case. Um, but so. I checked into um, some resources from the American Public Health Association. If anyone wants to check out their policy statement, it's called Universal Access to Contraception. Um, and and they, they cite every single paragraph, sometimes with multiple sources. So um, they said, and I'll just quote them, evidence has shown definitively that the relative risk associated with use of any tested method of contraception, that's important, tested, is significantly lower than the risks from pregnancy, childbirth, and unsafe abortion. So meaning that we're going to be using fewer health resources if we have birth control than if we don't. So I kind of get it. You know, the little sisters of the poor, they're saying, like, you went to a Catholic organization. You know we don't support this. You can't expect us to cover this. But I, I just think about women who who maybe don't know what they're in for here and they, like you say, perhaps might not access these services without financial help. And I think about, I think about our financial health as a country and just, I think about women's health overall. And it seems like, you know, covering these services and making these, making these products available to women as much as we can is, is just like giving healthcare to people who are homeless. Yeah, it's economically savvy and yeah, humane. <laughs> it's humane. Yeah, I mean, I think I checked into several sources, and one that I also thought was interesting: um, the CDC talked about uh, contraception as a huge public health win, essentially. Um, and they were saying that you know, not only is contraception preventing unwanted pregnancies, but there's also some STD prevention benefits. Hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if we're saying STI now, but we're saying sexually transmitted illnesses, diseases, infections. I, I may have my acronym wrong. But yeah, I mean, so obviously they don't, you know, it's not like a condom's going to prevent everything. But I mean, we've seen, uh, they reported some drops in cervical cancer rates with um, new screenings. And so I think that's another that's another part of this. There's other health benefits to contraceptive products other than just preventing pregnancy, right? So it just it's it's all about it's all about what's best for everyone. Um, same same story from ACOG, which is the here's a mouthful. American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG or ACOG, they they pointed to the same thing, um, reducing maternal mortality, which weirdly in the U.S. our maternal mortality rates are higher than they should be or higher than um, nations with comparable types of healthcare, comparable levels of technology available. And they said it enhances economic stability for women and their families. So... Um, and we will tweet out links to all of these resources if you want to check them out. But yeah, I think, I mean, we didn't, we didn't always have free contraception, but it seems like something that, that I think I'm kind of surprised more people don't get behind and it doesn't really seem all that like political to me. I I could see having an objection, but you know what I'm saying? It's Mm -hmm. like the homelessness thing. I understand like people have really strong feelings about, about, people who may have used drugs or people who have burned bridges or or whatever but at the end of the day you know like what's what's the best what's the best we can do yeah i agree and you know what's the best you can do as a catholic is really part of this Laura, can you try to just the pope called me earlier and he was like how's laura doing and i was like sir i don't know 
What do you call the Pope? Your Holiness? Yes. I was like, Your Holiness? I don't think that Lara has been to church in a while. So between me and you. He seemed he seemed cool with it, but I can't say what the ramifications might be. Jesus, <laughs> you just rat me out like that. <laughs> Sorry. We we can cut that later. <laughs> just throw me under the bus. Uh, well, so, okay, a serious question, though. Like, you are super up on current events. Do you feel like, is this something that was, I mean, are there other factors at play? Like, what do you, what do you think is, like, where do you see this going and, and what... Is there some, like, economic reason we would not want women to have no. birth control? Or do you think it's all, it's religious? Um, or it's moral? I mean, if you want, do you do you want to get political? I mean, y- you go for it, girl. I'm not going to stop you. Okay, so from my understanding, from my viewpoint, from my view of the world, the reason why this was done is because of the uh, religious right and the um, influence that it has on the conservative party um, with the Republicans. Um, Donald Trump has said that he is a friend of uh, the religious right and he's um, bringing back um, a lot of things that they feel like they've lost, like saying Merry Christmas and uh, doing different things. So he has uh, reversed tried to reverse the Johnson Amendment, which is the prevention of um, churches who preach a political uh, message um, for one candidate over another or a particular thing from the pulpit um, are at risk of losing their um, tax exemption. Um, From my understanding, uh, in the last 40 years, I think maybe two... Churches have lost their, um, uh, have been threatened or investigated for that, despite multiple churches having, you know, souls to the polls, uh, pushes and having political, <laughs> uh, campaign, um, or political. I've never, I've never heard that souls to the polls. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's really big in African American churches, is, um, okay. with early voting, they, um, have, um, they they help uh, their parishioners uh, go to or take advantage of early voting, which is like another mm-hmm. thing of why um, some people are opposed to having it on Sundays um, for oh. um, early voting. Um, so it's it's part of that movement to show that he is doing things for the religious right. This was a very small mm. minority of the religious late that had an issue with the birth control, but it's a thing that he, um, he can and him and his administrations can point to and say, see, you voted for us. This is a thing. This is what we said we would do, and now we're delivering on it. It's okay. not economical. It's not medical. It's um, 100% political in my Opinion. Now, on the flip side, Obama did the same thing. Um, you could also say for political reasons, um, you know, providing mm-hmm. birth c- control was not necessarily a super controversial issue until it became mandatory. Um, yeah. And it was forcing um, uh, businesses to pay for health insurance that included this, um, whereas previously they were able to be exempt from those things. So, um yeah. In, yeah, and that is on the kind flip of side, Obama this. should have known that this would have pissed off the Catholics, the religious right, who had very strong opinions on it. Um, mm-hmm. And both sides will fight it out in the courts of whether or not yeah. it's legal. So, I mean, the weird thing is also, though, like, it's not when people had to pay for birth control. It's it's not like the insurance. We're not changing whether or not it's covered. We're lowering the cost or removing the cost to increase access. So I think it's it's weird sometimes because I like we're talking about, you know, should they have to this or should they have to that, but like no one's actual coverage is changing, is it? Well, no, I guess if you're one of the if you're one of the yeah, if you're people, if your uh, employer does not want to pay for um health and ins- for for contraception, then oh. contraception is not going to be covered by your health insurance. Not at all. So it's not like you would get It'd it. It would be an you'd... exclusion policy. Uh, so it would not yeah, be okay. covered. We won't cover. Um, I got it. You know, we won't 
cover different things. And included in that is like, we won't uh, cover weight loss programs, you know, those diets or whatever. So they, you know, those kinds of things. And also can be included is contraception. And this has now expanded the amount of people who can apply for an exemption from that. So um, they're saying that it will only uh, affect 200 people, but those are the people who have uh, 200 200 employers, but those are the people. I was going to be like, 200 people. (laughs) Let's get them on the show. (laughs) 200 employers, because those are the the employers that have come forward and said, I disagree with this. Um, so but now there that it's more now, now, yeah. So there may be more. So I mean, that's how yeah. you play the game with the the numbers, right? Mm. You, use, you use the statistics that you want. There's lies, damn lies, and statistics, right? Yeah. So, so that's I mean, that's my opinion of it. Um, you can disagree with me, but it it feels political, and yeah. It's okay. He's the president. He's allowed to be political. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think, yeah. So thanks for clarifying that because that's not something I was mixing up whether or not it's free or not with whether or not it's covered or not. And those are obviously two very, very different things. So sobering sobering news when you're female and younger, right? <laughs> like it's it's hard to... I think when it, it gets a little personal, like, I don't know, does it, does it feel personal to you on some level? Yeah, absolutely. Because... Yeah, it just... Because... It's like, oh, this changes maybe a conversation I would have with my doctor, which is just weird, right? It's just, like, weird that someone I've never met is like, here we are, you know? Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. Anything else okay. to add? Um, yeah, I just wanted to share a quick resource... Um, For women who might be having trouble getting uh, contraceptive services that their plan does cover. So we can't can't help you if your plan stops covering contraception. But there is um, a website, which is nwlc.org slash cover her. And it's, I think it's the National Women's Law Institute, or I'll look it up really quick. But while I'm doing that, they basically are a resource that helps women have a conversation with uh, their insurer or even a provider if they're not getting the coverage that they're supposed to have. Because one of the things that happened right after the Affordable Care Act went into went into play was that there were women who were supposed to be, say, like getting an IUD or getting the pill, and it was supposed to be no cost, and they were still having to pay for it. So they kind of created a toolbox for women to to get the coverage that they're supposed to have. So I hope that... I don't know if that's controversial. I hope not. Um, but the point is that they're helping women get the coverage that they that they have. Um, they are um, since I I checked into them a couple years ago, and since and since then they've become a little more political. So they do have on their website some advocacy kinds of tools. So if that's not your thing. You might want to avoid it. But I I still think that their basic service, um, helping women access the healthcare that they're paying for, is is noble. So. Uh, we will tweet that link as well, and and thumbs up to them for uh, helping people get their insurance benefits. It's not always easy. So our last article is from Center CenterDaily dot com, um, and it's physical physical therapy can help prevent falls and keep older patients active. So it's talking about how uh, one in four Americans over sixty five fall every year. Um, which, first of all, seems like a lot. Second of all, 65 doesn't seem that old to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is this? It's a, yeah, they cite people 65 and older. And then the second sentence is, for older Americans, falls are the leading cause of fatal injuries and non-fatal trauma-related hospital admissions. So we just we just uh, said everyone's 65 and up ancient, which I don't really agree with. I feel like 65 is, is really not that old anymore, which maybe is... Is that just a sign of us getting older that we're like, yeah, they're good. No, everything's great. Probably now that we're in our 30s, 65 (laughs) doesn't seem that bad. You're not old until you're 90, folks. We called it. You heard it here first. (laughs) Until we're 45 and then it's not that bad. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so it's talking about the different reasons why uh, seniors are more at risk of falling, which is basically you're older, and so <laughs> there are a lot of things that <laughs> happen to you. <laughs> your balance is off. Your blood sugar is wonky. Oh, dementia can make it more difficult to pay ad- attention to environmental factors. Ooh, man. Yeah. They dig right in. Cataracts, cardiac conditions, reaction time. Yeah, so long-term medications. Yeah, yeah. So it's talking about how physical therapy can help reduce the risk of falling, and talking about using as a preventative rather than reactionary, which I think is really good. Um, Love it. Yes, because you were talking about physical therapy last week, and this is this is nothing like that, but. Just, like, looking at it, how it can be used. Because you were talking about the different types. and mm-hmm. But um, I just thought it was interesting to see how um, how we can use it to be proactive with, with, yeah. with ourselves and our Which, parents or grandparents or elderly people in our life that are apparently <laughs> 65 or older. <laughs> I mean, I have really come to think of physical therapy as something that should be included in primary care. And... I mean, I, you know, I guess we were political a moment ago, and, and this almost gets back into some of that policy stuff. I mean, we've made a decision more or less, you know, in our country or just the way our system is set up. It, it's really hard for medical providers to be well compensated for preventive care. And so I, I would love to see more things like this where we're saying, hey, it's going to cost, you know, a ton of money if you fall, break your hip, go to the hospital, uh, inqui- like acquire an infection like MRSA, you know, and then we have to treat you with a gajillion antibiotics and then you have a reaction to those. So, you know, next thing you know, I mean, there's so many, there's so many medical interventions that, that lead to other medical interventions. I think they, I think in, in the childbirth community, they call it, is that a thing? The childbirth community? Yeah. I don't know. Yes, it you, is. You know now. what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. So in the, in the world of people having people, <laughs> there's this there's this whole like idea of a cascade of interventions where you know it's like oh well the woman's contractions aren't strong enough so we're going to use pitocin and now oh because of the pitocin strengthening the contractions she's in a lot of pain we're going to need an epidural because she's had the epidural she's not feeling it as much when she's pushing so she might be more likely to have tearing um semi-tangent that there was a story out just recently saying i think that some of that there's not necessarily a higher epidural rate with with Pitocin or something. But anyway, these cascades of interventions can also definitely happen with older people, maybe particularly with older people. So I love this piece and I wish we had done this piece first, Laura. Okay. Because it's the only one you sent me that has like full paragraphs, which I think that's like one of my special requests. I always want stories that have full paragraphs, <laughs> not one sentence paragraphs. Um, also, interestingly, if you scroll all the way down, the author is a physical therapist. So shock of shocks, he's real pro-physical therapy, but I'm with him on this. Um, I think more people, I think we see physical therapy 110% as I got injured, so I went to physical therapy to quote unquote fix it. But the idea that having better muscle tone, that improving your your core strength, your stability could prevent injuries, it really is not something we, that I think we should limit to to older people. So I'm I'm big on the whole fitness bit of life and... You know, if you're 60, 65 years old and quote unquote a senior per this article, not per us, we think you're awesome, but per this article, you're a senior, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefits. So, and, and I think a physical therapist can also help you like identify your specific, um, deficits and, and weaknesses and risk factors. So yeah, Laura, thanks for taking the best story, sticking it all the way at the end. You're welcome. Happy to help. <laughs> Oh, I love it. So this story, because I want everyone to read it, is called Physical Therapy Can Help Prevent Falls, Keep Older Patients Active. Absolutely. All right, Robin, what's your current medical fascination? Well, um, I just flew home from New Orleans last night, and I'm a little sleep deprived, and I've been kind of working long hours. And I've been thinking a lot about the importance of sleep to our overall health and kind of more specifically about whether or not it's possible to make up sleep. I've always wondered this and 
I've heard different things, and this is all a totally anecdotal like things I've heard, but someone told me once that you can only make it up within 72 hours, and after that, like, it, it's lost in the sands of time, and haha, I get it. There's a little pun there, <laughs> but there's thanks for that fake laugh. Um, no, I that that after three days it's done. Um, so I've wondered about that. Like, do you accumulate a sleep debt over time? Like, do I have a sleep debt from high school, from college, or, or is it like, no, my body has just internalized that damage and we're moving forward? Like, is there any hope of redemption for all of us? So. That's that's what my jet lagged brain is thinking about today. I like it. What do you think? You think we can make it up? I I mean, I'm actively trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, so if you know anything about sleep deficits and whether we can make them up, you can tweet us at the bad patient using the bad expert hashtag. Um and I guess while we're into contacting us, you can always listen to the podcast at thebadpatient.com. Um, I think that's all the, the bad patienting I have in me because now we talked about sleep and I'm, and I'm tired, Laura. <laughs> that's fair. So before we go, I want to give a special thank you to the composer who uh, created our theme song. His name is Evan Schaefer. You can listen to more of his music on soundcloud.com slash Evan Schaefer. That's E-V-A-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R. Thanks, Evan. And until next time, we are Bad Patient. Now practice makes perfect. Perfect.